It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Glad you're back. Oof. He missed you so much. Did you keep him away from the TV? Absolutely. I just put him down for a nap. but we have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch podcast here on Post Show Recaps talking Season 4, Episode 4, Eggtown? Yeah. Mike, Eggtown? Eggtown, the only episode of Lost that Emily Fox is allergic to. Here we are. Sorry, Emily, that you <laughs> I don't can't listen to this true. one. I don't know if that's true. Uh, I think that there may be other episodes that she would have an allergic reaction to, but certainly to Eggtown. Eggtown here in season four, one of the strangest episode titles in all of Lost. I mean, I'll flat out say the wor- it's the worst. It's the worst. It's the <laughs> by far it is the worst. You might quibble yeah. with things like we talked about Trisha Tanaka's dead. Even at last week as the Economist, we said these are oddball choices. This is a flat out trash bag episode it's got a, title. A, a great uh, description on the official Wikipedia entry for Eggtown season four, episode four. Uh, I'll read it quickly. The word Eggtown is not directly referenced in the episode, resulting in online speculation and confusion. According to Lindelof and Cuse, it has been the most questioned title of the show. Jeff Jensen of Entertainment Weekly suggested that the title was a reference to the ancient cosmic egg concept or the chicken or the egg causality dilemma, while John Kubiak of Buddy TV 
guessed that it was a shout out to the children's book and film called The Easter Egg Adventure, which depicts roosters attempting to steal Easter eggs from the animals of a place called Eggtown, or that it was an allusion to the Great Depression slang term, which was used in the 1930s when describing a bad deal. Lindelof and Cuse confirmed that the episode was primarily named as such because Locke fries eggs for Ben's breakfast, and secondarily because the story deals with Kate's possible pregnancy. Which is so trashy. Like, I hate... The double entendre of, oh, Locke makes eggs, and then we're dealing with Kate possibly having a baby. Then you know what? Then you call it over easy. That's what you do, oh Colton Cuse, okay? You call it over easy, <laughs> and you go all in. Josh, I, I also looked up, actually, I, wow. I haven't really done this before, what these titles were in other languages, because Eggtown is not Eggtown in uh, other language versions of Lost. In French, the episode title loosely translates to Enemy Mothers. Mm. And in Latin America, the title translates to The Trial, which the unfortunately trial. I think brings horrible Stranger in a Strange Land callbacks. Yes, I'm very quickly right now just running through every single episode of Lost is what I am doing as I am saying these words. I'm scrolling through. I'm all the way through season three at this point. I'm trying, Mike, to just quickly scan. Is there a worse episode title? Than Eggtown. I'm now through. I'm now through season five. I know that some people like to bag on some like it Hoth, but I think that's cute. Um, cute, not Hoth. Ah, uh, there's a, maybe one or two candidates in season six, or I guess uh, there's however many candidates there are in season six. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't think any of them quite compete with Eggtown. I think uh, uh, Ring the Bell, Eggtown, worst episode title in Lost history. Yeah, I would say. What might earn the silver medal is, ironically enough, another Kate episode in what Kate does. But that also has the tie into a previous episode. So it automatically wins out yeah, due to the, I don't think the, the so. canon aspect of it. I don't think so. I don't I don't think it I don't think it comes close. Yeah. In fact, um, just again, like I don't love Dr. Linus has always been one that has made me annoyed. I don't care for Dr. Linus uh, as an episode title, but. Uh, Eggtown is the worst, but it also has one of the more memorable twist endings in uh, certainly in season four of Lost, if not all of Lost, is what we just listened to this revelation that uh, Kate and Aaron are two of the other members of the Oceanic Six. We already knew this about Kate, but Aaron is off the island and Kate, who there is some tension as to whether or not she is pregnant in this episode. Um she comes to you know find out that she's not, but she's been talking in the flash forward about how she has a, a child, and we come to find out that that child is indeed Turnip Head, uh, which I think if you'd called this episode Turnip Town, Mike, perhaps that would have uh, spoiled the reveal a little early. Uh, very memorable, very memorable twist, this sleepy little Aaron being in the future. Oh, he's so cute. Maybe he's it's just really because I, I have a little blonde boy of my own, but like seeing this, I don't know, it, it just warmed my heart so so much and i think the prophecy that was put out there in season one episode 10 has finally come to fruition indeed aaron littleton has been raised by another yes uh it would certainly appear that way and so like uh you know on one hand you should be happy that aaron is safely off the island desmond was right about something evidently and that aaron is being raised by somebody that we care about and somebody that we mostly trust 
Um, but then you should also be nervous about the fact that, oh, God, wasn't he not supposed to be raised by anyone else? And, oh, God, what happened to Claire? Uh, you know, these are sort of the big questions that come from the Aaron reveal. We said when we talked about The Economist, Mike, that maybe Eggtown was an episode that was going to be helped out in terms of its final score uh, by the um, the scale of the ending, the quality of the ending. For me, I think that that was absolutely the case because I I love I love the ending. I think it's a great reveal. I feel like there is a much better version of this episode that did not come to light. Um, mm. Not even necessarily something that you could cobble together in the edit. I I believe I think something is lost. Ooh, in translation <laughs> in in the writing, uh, where I feel like doing the trial episode for Kate is just not spectacularly exciting and i feel like this should have been much more of a moment than it was played for kate finally having to reckon with what she did it just it's a little soft for me it just doesn't really amount to a ton there's some structural things where like if the whole thing is going to be building towards this big reveal at the end mike that there's uh that her child is aaron then uh the the like it's i think it's the second act that ends with uh kate being like i'm not letting you bring in my son like that should be like the end of the first act mm-hmm. um like there's just like some structural stuff all along the way that i think is a little weird about Eggtown. yeah and i think it it's a kate episode and i actually think there are a lot of tenants that carry across eight kate episodes even across the four seasons so far in that kate herself is spoiler alert not going to be an mvp in her own episode because it often shows that the stuff that she does on island in particular in her own centric episodes is not great you could understand the reasons why she's doing so but either she gets caught or something goes wrong or she does something bad so that's the case we are unfortunately going back to the kate sawyer well which i always found really awkward when we end season three on such a strong note of jack telling kate that he loves her and Sawyer really pushing himself away from Kate and towards Juliet. I always found it a bit of a really regretful reversion to go back to Kate and Sawyer again in season four, especially given, you know, how we know the end of things. Like, do we really need to do this again? I don't feel like we find out anything new about these characters. This felt like we're just repeating the same beats over and over again. We are continuing, I guess, the storyline of John Locke falling apart with his leadership. I also wonder... Does this episode not benefit from its placement in the season? Because season four, episode three, we end with this beautiful, epic shot. We talked about it last week, just how gargantuan it was that Saeed Jarrah and anyone in general was finally leaving the island. No others coming by to take the boy or anything. He is getting off this island. And then we get this monolith of an episode that is the constant. But in between, the meat in the middle of this sandwich decorated with two beautiful pieces of artisanal bread is some weak old deli meat turkey that is the form of Eggtown. I wonder, Josh... You sure it's if, not a chicken that's been freshly murdered because oh, it yeah, well, that's, delivers bullshit eggs, which I'll talk about in a little bit? Fresh, fresh with blood as well uh-huh. from John Locke's <laughs> hands. I do wonder, now I don't know if, if there is a, to your point, an edit where you can take the events of Eggtown... And put them in somewhere else. But I wonder if you take these events and you put them after the constant. So it's just a direct segue. We go from the chopper taking off into them flying into the Thunderhead and then everything going awry. And we save all of this for 
after that beautiful epic episode does it help things a little bit i agree I with you know. that i think that yeah. i think the writing would not necessarily uh you know increase its weight substantially but i do think especially watching it at the time the episode was certainly not helped by the fact that again that epic cliffhanger last time the the ending of this episode was literally the only thing to write home about at the time that's that's only the only thing people were talking about outside of that it really was a bit of same old same old on island here's a here's a pitch for you mike um here here is what i think might might have been interesting uh is it is it more interesting this episode if we are able to lean on some of what we know about the oceanic six um so we know jack is back we know hurley is back at this point we know saeed is off the island is there a way that members of the oceanic six could could be together they're uh enjoying some sort of like welcome home party something like that where you get all of them here uh in sort of like the same vein as we're gonna see it in the season finale i believe is like the, the, the party birthday party for hurley yeah no no because no, i think that, well, that, ruins the, uh, that, that that ruins the sun reveal um no not necessarily because she's not you know she would be in korea uh so, so you not, want she, five of the oceanic six to come yeah together. i think like you have you have something like that or even if it's just like jack and kate having dinner or something like that but like some version of like showing how uh how famous they are we hear uh in this episode that kate has one of the most famous faces in america uh yeah, she's like and, the octo mom of 2007 we know that the Oceanic Six are crazy famous at this point. Is there a version of this, I guess, like the short version of what I'm asking is, is there a version of this that's like a little bit more of a thriller, a little bit more of a like she is going to be uh, like, uh, you know, Kate is is free and then suddenly she's not like suddenly the past comes to haunt her. Like, does it all have to be courtroom drama? Is there not a better way to package this? I don't know. I actually like the way that this is done because uh, the theming of this episode, I actually really enjoy because it's this idea of here's a character who literally every other flashback up to this point, Josh, has been about Kate moving somewhere. Kate on the run. Kate constantly needing to be on the run. And now we finally freaking stay somewhere with Kate Austin. And I actually really like that. I like the tension that builds as well. There's a claustrophobia that I feel like in that courtroom, especially as Kate herself is sort of weighing the choices of okay, do I go along with this lie? Do I continue doing this? Or do I use this as the ability to come to terms with my own actions, both on and off island? I think there's a really interesting digestion there. And I really don't mind the opportunity to stay in the courtroom. I just feel like there could have been a better way to write it. I, I like remaining in, in one location, not being so sprawling, because we've seen Kate be sprawling before. I'm fine having Hurley and Saeed and these other characters be a bit more sprawling because we don't really see them globetrot as much as Kate does. This is a change of pace for Kate Austin, and I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let's dig into the episode. Let's crack some eggs. Uh, Kimi makes good eggs is what uh, I hear. We're so close. They, we, they call an episode Eggtown. We meet the Eggman next episode. You could have waited for your egg-induced titles, please. He is the Eggman. Uh, so let's dig in. Let's chew on some eggs. This is Eggtown, directed by Stephen Williams, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff and Gregory Nations, uh, originally aired uh, February 21st, 2008. Centers on Kate. It's a flash forward. We begin... Not with Kate. 
Yeah. And this is the first fun fact of only three episodes in the show ever to open on an eye where the eye is not from the character that is the focus of the flashbacks, flash forwards. I feel uh, like the, that often suggests to me, Mike, some discombobulation in the episode. Yeah. The other two are Exodus Part 1, which obviously had a lot to do, and Abaterno. I can't remember whose eye it is in Abaterno, but I guess it is not uh, Richard's. But yeah, it, it's clear that maybe from the beginning that there's some odd focus things going on because we open on the eye of John Locke. It should also be noted, speaking of maybe some discombobulation, this is written by Elizabeth Sarnoff, as you mentioned, who is a veteran loss writer, but also a newbie loss writer. They're sort of going on patrol together here. Gregory Nations, this is his debut as a loss writer. He's going to pen two more episodes, and we've actually mentioned both of them over the course of this podcast. He's so been I'm, part of the team from the jump, though, uh, he pretty has, much. But this, is, but this is his first time putting pen to paper, and I, I do feel like that maybe is uh, a different role entirely. He will write some like at Hoth and Abaterno as well, but this is... Gregory Nation's official debut as a lost writer in particular. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's been, uh, he's, he's been with the show for, for a minute if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, but it it is a different skill set. Um, I don't know if it's that, those are the feet that I would lay this at. There's just a lot going on with egg 10. That's a little strange. This choice of starting with Locke has like big, like adrift energy for me. Uh, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, it just like kind of feels like, like it, was this episode designed fully, as a Kate episode, uh, right. kind of, kind or, of or even a drift energy again. Like we we end we end um, Man of Science, Man of Faith on such a huge note of Desmond holding Kate captive, and Jack recognizes him, and now we're going out to the middle of the ocean. You know, yeah. Saeed leaves the island, and now Locke is making breakfast in what I can assume was Ben's house. Right? I'm assuming not every other house has a hospital bed in it. Yeah, you get the sense that he's waking up in Ben's house. He's living in Ben's house. I think insult to injury. Um, he wakes up in the hospital bed. He goes and he makes breakfast. A uh, nice plate of eggs and melon. Uh, and those uh, those eggs, Mike, uh, I wouldn't really... It's it's interesting. You wouldn't think it. My wife is allergic to eggs. The great Emily Fox cannot eat eggs. Uh, and yet... She raised chickens uh, mm -hmm. uh, early in her life uh, for the for the first half of her life. And she knows a good egg from a bad. And uh, this would go down the shaft with Veruca salt, Mike. Too yellow, uh -huh. these yolks. Very, very yellow yolks. Unhealthy eggs. An unhealthy chicken laid these eggs. Uh, so uh, no, no wonder that John Locke is going to go ahead and kill this chicken. Uh, later on in the episode makes all the sense in the world to me that's um, interesting so what so does that imply that what i'm assuming i mean i don't think chickens would be natural to the island that i don't know how much they would thrive in tropical environments anyway do you think the others were just doing a bad job farming is that mikhail's yes. feet that we yeah. fall this onto i think we throw this at mikhail oh should i give like a uh, retroactive lvp point to mikhail uh for uh mis misraising <laughs> the chickens i kind of want to yeah, he's a dumb idiot when it comes to both believing Ben and farming techniques. Yeah, anyway, uh, now that it's inedible, you could definitely eat the, the egg. It just could be healthier. Uh, so he's making breakfast for Ben. And the first part of the episode is sort of just like this slow crawl through the minutia of making breakfast for Ben. And that mm -hmm. apparently this episode is named after this moment. Um, yeah, it's, it's so it's, weird. Do you think they, the uh, Carlton Cuse and David Lindelof were 
thumbing through the script. They didn't have much time. They were working on other things. Read like the first two pages and said, okay, Eggtown, great. We're moving on. That's This is the next thing we have to get to. Just call it Eggtown. Doesn't matter what the other 40 minutes of the episode are. Look, sometimes this is what happens, right? Like sometimes you get busy. You got to move on with your life. You just got to say, yes, let's go. Eggtown, fine. Um, if that's what's, it, it, that would ultimately be my review of Eggtown. Eggtown, fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, could that could is, be healthier. The yolks could, could be, be a little less, less yellow. Could be healthier, but certainly could be worse. And a big part of why I think that this episode, for me, is rescued from the from the twos. Uh, spoiler alert, we're all over time with, with these recaps now. Uh, I'm giving this one a three. Flat three is where I'm standing with it right now. Oh, should uh, I keep mine in suspense then to just have something that people are waiting for till the end you, on bated you, breath? You get to choose. Or, or you could tell them now and they can just be like, ah, I'm not going to listen to Eggtown. That's fine. Um, no, no, no. I want them to listen to Eggtown. So you have to, <laughs> if you are solely sticking around for my rating, you're just going to have to wade through our talk about this episode because yes. I'm saving it until the very, very end. Uh, I, uh, you, you can keep it a, a secret. One of the things that's keeping this from being a flat out two, uh, in the two to 2.9 category, uh, is both the ending, which is great. I love the ending. Mm-hmm. And then this episode also has, uh, some really great Benjamin Linus content and it begins here with a a fairly classic John Locke and Benjamin Linus scene that really really uh, uh, gets me going and a couple of other good scenes in this episode that I think elevate it from being just middle of the pack for me so let's listen in John Locke's gonna feed Benjamin Linus some breakfast these are the last two eggs From my own bookshelf. Help you pass the time. I've already read it. You might catch something you missed the second time around. Why did you move me from the rec room down here? I wanted you under my own roof. Where are you keeping your other prisoner? Miles, is it? Oh, you don't want to share. Actually, I was hoping you would share, Ben. Seeing as you claim to have a spy on his ship... I feel for you, John. I really do. You keep hitting dead ends. You couldn't find the cabin. You can't make contact with Jacob. You're so desperate to figure out what to do next. You're even asking me for help. So here we are, just like old times. Except I'm locked in a different room. And you're more lost than you ever were. I know what you're trying to do. It's not going to work. Excellent, John. You're evolving. Done with your breakfast? admit josh aside from the ending i think this is my favorite scene of the episode yeah uh another bad look for john Locke, who's like done this exact thing before yeah. ben literally says this is exactly like season two when you've also served me something i got on your head and you smashed a bunch of stuff in anger in response i like this because um normally this would kind of frustrate me of like oh we're just doing this again 
But what I like about it is like Ben is the one who gets the meta game here and Locke doesn't. Uh mm-hmm. like it helps to stress Ben's point uh about how like uh here we are again doing the same exact thing except you're more lost than ever. And it's punctuated by the fact that John just does something so regressive as to throw uh you know uh you know, plates around in front the of last Ben two eggs for the second are all time. Gone. Yeah, so I, I think that, that that works really well for me. The other thing that works really well for me is just like the confidence in Benjamin Linus here. This is a guy who's a prisoner, but he's, you know, he's been a prisoner before. And the last time he both had a tumor and a, uh, a, a, a skewer wound from being harpooned <laughs> in the collarbone. So, yeah, he's gotten his face bashed in multiple times. But all things considered, it could be worse. And at least he's in his own house. So maybe he's a little more comfortable. Yeah, I really like the scene because, like you said, it emphasizes this idea that everything old is new again. That Locke at this point thinks things are different, right? He says, you're under my roof. He has now taken literal propriety of Dharmaville. He has taken the dictator position of his group. He is saying, I am speaking on behalf of the island. I am Jacob. I am the new Benjamin Linus. I am the Alpha, the Omega. I am the person that you go to. But Ben is serving as a reminder here of, no, no, no. Yeah. You're just John Locke. You're just John Locke. You you think you know the directions. But, but you have no idea. And it's great because here's another callback. Let's go back to White Rabbit. When Locke tells Jack, remember, uh, a leader can't lead if he doesn't know where he's going. And that's a stark reminder to Locke in this moment of, yeah, I might think I know where I'm going, but that is becoming abundantly clear that I don't. And therefore, what kind of leader am I? I I think it's a great way to symbolize. Like you said, we've done this dance before, but at this point, Locke doesn't think it's that dance. He's entered a tango pose, thinking that he's doing a paso doble, and he's realizing very quickly that he's got two left feet. I don't know what that means. I've got no idea. He's got two left feet, no matter what. I should also notice that the the book that Locke gives Ben that he's already read before is, I'm going to Apologies if I butcher this, much like the chicken. Vallis, uh, V-A-L-I-S, by Philip K. Dick. There's a lot of actual comparisons between Vallis and Lost, especially when it comes to actually what we're about to experience in the next episode. Uh, Vallis and Lost both discuss the possible human ability to, quote-unquote, mentally travel through time, despite the, the person's body still physically being there. You're more so doing it mentally. And also there's the a big plot point that revolves around a purple laser, which we will see as soon as next episode when Daniel Faraday uses it in his own experiment. So really, this could have been a, a, a nice little book drop for bookworms to really get to see what co- kookiness and weirdness is going to emerge in the constant. I like it. Um, all right. So I love that scene. Happy about that. Then we're sort of in, you know... Season four has this really fun vibe where like sometimes people just sit down and drink coffee together before they Mm -hmm. start getting shot at, I guess. But right now it's a coffee date between Kate and Claire that Sawyer is trying to to ruin. And and Sawyer even lampshades just how odd this is, right? We got a small taste of civility in season two with the hatch, but that was still underground, right? There was still a menacing aspect to this. They're in a bungalow right now, essentially. It's a weird weird mood even at this point and it also really sets up nicely though from a transitional perspective the fact that six people will get to leave the island at least six and be treated to more modern proclivities despite the fact that we are far from the wild as sawyer would say back in season one this is still an odd transition point 
where people are starting to physically and mentally remove themselves from being on the island, even so much as going in for coffee. Yeah. Uh, and Kate really doesn't want anything to do with it. Um, she's not going to move in with Sawyer, even though Sawyer's like, I'll kick out Hugo if that's what it takes. She doesn't want that. She's not here because she's spying for Jack, but she's not going to explain why she's here. Uh, because she doesn't trust Sawyer. So that trust is already broken here. Sawyer is going to, you know, really call it on the relationship with his actions later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's already, you know, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty smashed in this in this point in time. Uh, because Sawyer's like, it's about the pregnancy, right? And Kate's like, get out of here. Just go home. Um, so she doesn't want anything to do with him right now. Yeah, though, she'll have a lot to do with him later on. And I'll admit as a big skate fan, I enjoyed their dynamic in season three. As I mentioned before, I just find this episode frustrating to go back to this, especially because, again, we got such big Sawyer growth throughout season three. I don't need to necessarily relitigate this, especially all that pregnancy stuff. You know, I imagine with the idea of Clementine in the back of his head, he approaches all this stuff a bit differently. And maybe that leads to the more belligerent aspects of the way he does things. But it doesn't make it that more enjoyable to watch i don't know i i'm not a big fan of sawyer in this episode yeah there's a few things about sawyer that i really like in this episode um i think that there are a couple of moments where like i guess like the thing that i really like about sawyer is the way that he is able to navigate uh lock and to Mm -hmm. do it without lock detecting that sawyer was in on any of it like that's just sort of like some classic sawyer con yes he's he's spy sawyer right now he's doing the sort of ben dreberg in the middle part of survivor 35 of oh i'm playing the the inside man who is helping out the outsiders but the main guy doesn't know it but i think he does a good job with it and so like on like a competency level i'm impressed then he does some things that are not great. Uh, so that probably ultimately uh, puts him in the lost column for me. Uh, the lost column. Uh, let's let's finally move forward into the future. It's our first flash of the episode. And it's Kate with her lawyer, Duncan, uh, who is played by character actor Sean Doyle, who you have seen in something. I promise you, whether it was The Expanse or 24 or Big Love, you've seen this guy. Sean Doyle gets around uh and sean doyle uh makes his way onto lost by playing uh duncan the attorney who uh let me just say does a bang up job on this trial this guy duncan yeah i mean listen he is fighting a losing battle what kate did was indeed what she did she is being tried for all these things between murder between vacating the law many times between being involved in a bank robbery between doing all these types of things now look i will say where this episode takes a hit i don't necessarily need legal experts to have to write for this show but if you look at lostpedia there is a laundry list of things as to why this kangaroo court makes absolutely no sense in reality one of the big ones that i picked up on is If you look at the locations, again, Kate is known for globetrotting. She killed Wayne in Iowa, right? She also did the whole unfortunate bank robbery in Albuquerque down in the Southwest. But she's being tried for all this in California. I'm not a law law. I'm no Antonio Mazzaro. I don't think that's how this works. Mm. Uh, Maybe they felt like, okay, we have Kate under capture here in California. Let's try her for everything here. But I feel like we have learned so much about states' laws being autonomous that that doesn't necessarily feel like it makes a lot of sense. 
but but that being said, I will say Kate is is rocking the look here in the modern day. She's she's wearing like a nice white dress. Interestingly enough, if you look at the wardrobe, it really tells you all you need to know about the way Kate feels about herself as the trial goes on. Because as she's coming in here for her initial hearing, she is decked out in all white. But as the trial moves into the second day and beyond, she's in black. Which more, which more so represents, I think, how she feels like she's discrediting herself. They're self-loathing. It's more of this idea of, I deserve this. I don't want any more lying. And so I think even looking at the way Kate dresses herself, even though probably being encouraged by Duncan, this is a way of maybe unintentionally telling everyone, this is the way I, I'm, I was told to feel, and this is the way I actually feel. Now, I think it's just really impressive that uh, Duncan, you know, say what you will about sort of like the legal mechanics of this episode um, in terms of how it holds up to realism. But just like studying the universe of the show, I think it's really impressive to me that that Duncan went into uh, defense work um, after he, you know, could have carved his way forward in uh, the, the toy industry, thanks to his father's work at Duncan's toy chest in oh. new york city that duncan decided to like disavow his uh his family fortune and go off and uh you know to fight for fight for the people do you think he gave kate a turtle dove kate if you hold on to this turtle dove you'll always remember me said duncan well, I'd assumed actually that he was more so dealing with food-based legalese, considering his family line lies in donuts and coffee and other ah, pastries. Yeah. No, that's Duncan. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I think I missed the, the Duncan with they're a different. K often get mixed they're up with different. each other. I can yeah, imagine. Awkwardly, Duncan loves Starbucks, so mm. it is a little a little odd. Yeah, and, and he really just like has a huge, you know, fit to throw whenever he's like, I've had it with enough crawler lawsuits, okay? Yeah. I'm not that Duncan. I'm That's the toy the, Duncan. I'm the toy Duncan. I'm the heir to the Duncan's toy chest empire. Uh but no. Uh he decided instead he would he would pursue the law. Uh, so he's here. He's talking her through it. He walks her through the front entrance. Paparazzi. Sort uh, of. Not going to do a, a Wanderazzi right now. Sort no of. Though. Well, it is episode four, though. That's uh, true. Week which, four. <laughs> there you go. But it, it's weird because maybe this is to your point larger about how maybe this episode could be rewritten is we, we really are so internalized with the trial that we really don't know much about the perception of the Oceanic Six. I'm still a little confused as to why there is this, not only the paparazzi, but an angry mob. There seems to be a rather irascible bearded man who's just yelling at Kate. Is it, you know, you're a criminal, you're a murderer, I don't care what you did on the island, you deserve to be tried. It's just, a, it's a weird reaction as to what we're supposed to assume the public believes about Kate Austin at this moment. She's, su she's super famous. We have to recognize that uh, Kate Austin is one of the most famous people in, if not the world, Mike, at least America, uh, that Kate Austin has one of the most famous faces in America is what we come to find out when she's finally here on trial for fraud, arson, assault on a federal officer, assault with a deadly weapon, grand larceny, grand theft auto, and murder in the first degree. Uh, and uh, there's the argument of like, oh, well, she gotta, she's got to go to jail right now. She's a flight risk. She's going to run away. Yeah, I mean, and flight risk in more ways than one. This this judge really has her her finger on the pulse, I think, of yeah. like just looking up Kate up and down and being like, yeah, I got a feeling you're going to run. So you're going to stay put. We're going to put you in handcuffs. And finally, what Kate has been escaping for so long, her worst nightmare has come true, at least for now. 
she's going to spend some time behind bars. Yeah, and like Duncan is saying, she's got the, one of the most famous faces in America. She's not a flight risk. She's not going to go anywhere. Trust me, I've got one of the most famous faces in America, too. I am the heir to the Duncan's toy chest empire, and you you wouldn't see me running away. I couldn't run away from this face any more than Kate could. Do you think, if the Oceanic Six were so famous, what do you think the chances are that Dr. Jack Shepard becomes one of people's sexiest men alive in Hi. 2004 or 2005? Yeah, or Saeed, too. Yeah, you know, did they, did they do civilians? Like, did yeah. did Sully, was he on the short list in 2010 for Sexiest Made Alive? He should have been if they didn't put Sully on that list. Oh, my God, what a mistake. Uh, all right, so they throw Kate in jail. Meanwhile, at the beach, Jin says the word Albuquerque. Uh, and then he says New York. These are the places he wants to move when they get uh, rescued. I thought he was just a big Weird Al fan. He was about to go into an 11-minute song. Believe it or not, Josh... Four episodes in, these are the first words that Jin Su Kwan has spoken in season it's four wild. of Lost. Yeah, yeah, they're really holding him back from us right now. And I think uh, because of that, because we're not going to see a lot of him next week either. I don't think mm-hmm. we're going to see any of him. Um, and because I know that we are going to uh, reach the end of the line on Jin and Sun being in the same scenes together, uh, basically for the rest of the show, with a couple of exceptions, pretty soon. I get a feeling that I am going to enjoy Gigi on more this time than I ever have. Yeah, well, this is also a little bit of a nugget being dropped. At least maybe this is me convincing myself that it is. But actually, both this and the other woman, right? Because Jin is deciding places to live. I thought it was initially just another English lesson. But no, it turns out that he wants to find a city in America to live in when they come back. Uh, you know, but Sun vocalized to him that she wants to raise my baby at home in Korea. He corrects her, our baby. So I think it's speaking towards, hey, we're not particularly done with that whole Jay Lee storyline that's going to come up in The Other Woman. And we got some Quan stuff coming up a few episodes from now. And hearing her say, I want to raise my baby at home in Korea, knowing the ending of Ji Yeon just breaks my heart all over again. I'm very excitedly sad to get to that episode, Josh. Um, so we see Jack and Juliet. They come back. This is Charlotte, not Charlotte. Charlotte is here, and Daniel and Faraday. And here, no, he goes, and this is Dan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jack is on like a, a nickname yeah. basis. <laughs> uh, and I bet Daniel is just like I, I, I actually prefer Daniel. I don't, I don't really prefer Dan. No, I don't, I don't really know. like I it like, when anyone calls me Dan. I think with Faraday's memory problems, the shorter the name, the better. Call him D by the end of this. It's much easier for him to remember. Actually, Jack, I'd prefer it if you called me Little D. <laughs> yeah. can you, actually, can you call me Big D? Could you call me Big D? Uh, yeah, so he says, here's Charlotte and here's Dan. Uh, and that the helicopter's already taken Saeed and Desmond to the boat. Uh, so we're looking into this already. This is great. We're already networking. We're interfacing. We're getting rescue arranged. And Faraday's like, but are we? Are we really? Are we? I can't remember, though. Yeah. Are we literally? I don't mean this to be ominous. I'm really not sure. I actually don't know. Uh, so then there's also, where's Kate? Yeah, she stayed with Locke. And Jack's not dwelling on it too much. He's not, maybe, maybe he's not totally surprised. Yeah, well, I think at this point, it's it's like they just, they lampshaded last episode, right? Of course, this is Kate, this is who he is. I, I bet he does feel maybe a little miffed that he does declare his love for her, and then she she leaves, particularly to, to go after Sawyer, who he made mention of last episode. But I think he's got bigger fish to fry at this point. We don't see him ruminating that much on Kate, at least in this episode. Hopefully he's got some fish to fry. We haven't seen Jin in a few episodes. You'd like to think that he's been providing, so uh, fish fry uh, for the first night that Dan and Charlotte are on the beach would only be apt 
Yeah, exactly. Nice fish fry and a nice uh, game of cards, or at least they're they're just going to take three and go off in their little corner. Uh, all right, so back at the barracks, Kate comes to Locke. Locke has blood on his hands. This is a thing you could always say about John Locke, but right now it's literal. He killed a chicken. Luckily, off screen. How would you imagine? Do you think he would do the old survivor method of like manually breaking its neck? Do you think he would just chop off the head and let it run around flapping, which is what I Ben's heard no comparison idea. to now? I- I don't want to spend too much time on it. Uh, I have to imagine he did it efficiently. Uh, an efficient an efficient slaying of the chicken for dinner. Uh, so he's killed a chicken. He's got blood on his hands. Kate wants to talk to Miles. And Locke says, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. It's just, why? And he says, well, look, Kate, I think that uh, you must misur- misunderstand the circumstances you find yourself in. You're not here at uh this is not a democracy uh and kate says oh so it's a dictatorship and Locke says well if it was a dictatorship i would have just shot you and gone about the rest of my day or better yet thrown a knife in your back it, it really is comparable to me to a divorce set of parents and the differences in which a kid spends weekends at each other's house you know jack is he's the cool dad right hey let's have everyone everyone gets a say in something i i may have a louder voice than others but we're all going to try to work together and then you go to mommy Locke, and mommy Locke's like yeah i hope you like chicken because that's all you're having tonight dinner's at six bedtime's at eight good night yeah uh yeah he, I, I don't know i don't get it like Locke is Locke is losing me a little bit uh, this season. Locke's been losing me a little bit. I mean, I love the character. I love everything he represents, but some of the, the, the day-to-day, the grind with John Locke has been a little tough for me, Mike. Well, it's interesting because ultimately he is right, but the way he's going about it is wrong, wrong which is yeah. really, really fun to talk about. But the way he's going about this now and this Dharmaville stuff is actually very comparable to some of his much beleaguered flashbacks. The way he's going about this, I wonder, Josh, is he trying to reinvigorate that feeling of the commune that he was on back in further yes. instructions? Especially talking about this thought. idea of, of yeah. family dinner of, OK, I'm going to try to make this group of people because he once found a family there when he had none that promptly got blown up. Now he's saying, OK, I knew that was an illusion before, but I can make this a reality. Yeah, uh, and I think maybe that's a part of why some of this isn't working so great for me, uh, because it's just so reminiscent of that stuff. Not that it's like out of character. In fact, it turns out that it's very in character because this is his learned experience. And this was probably that was probably the happiest we've ever seen him until it got really bad. Yeah, uh, it's a so, low yeah. bar, but actually, I would say maybe the uh, maybe the beginning of Deus Ex Machina when he's working in the toy store might be the happiest we've seen him. Oh, is that Duncan's toy chest where he oh, was working? Maybe in it Deus is. Ex yeah, Machina? Duncan observes him in the background. It's like that guy's going places. For anyone who's confused, uh, Duncan's toy chest is from Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. Uh, we're just making an elaborate running joke about Duncan's toy chest because it, it, uh, I've never forgotten Duncan's toy chest, and there's a character in this episode named. Duncan. Oh, do you think when Kate was in the limo going to the going to the courthouse, she's pizza yeah, entirely herself? for herself. Yeah, I think so. Is, and Duncan maybe is like a sort of like the, the Tim Curry esque butler role. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's probably it uh, for sure. I mean, there is a little bit of like a wet bandit, sticky bandit operation that goes on in this episode in a little bit. So 
we'll get there. Uh, so again, uh, Claire is the bird lady. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, the Paravion lady. Uh, so Kate sees Hurley with a plate of food, and she suspects that it's going to Miles. So she interrupts and says, "Are you taking this to Miles?" And he said, "Yeah." And she goes, "Oh, well, Locke told me to do it. He's still in the rec room, right?" And he goes, "No, he's at the boathouse." And then Kate, no poker face. Kate's like Hurley. And Hurley's like, ah, you Scooby Doo to me. Yeah, bad look for Hurley. The episode after he's able to dupe Kate and Saeed, Kate immediately gets him back, just so succinctly. He hadn't recharged his powers yet, you know? He hadn't he hadn't charged back up. Uh so she's able to Scooby Doo him. Uh she's Scooby Doo and Hurley. I think <laughs> you Scooby Dooed me, didn't you? It's just a great line. That needs to be used more often. I totally agree. And Hurley's got the van. He's got the mystery machine. Yeah, but he does. Let's not. We're skip- not going home till the frozen doggy wheel. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some work to do now. Yeah. Well, let's go. Let's go to like a spooky place here, Josh, because apparently the others have a boathouse. They do. Um, and we've seen like the aerial view of uh, the barracks before, not the aerial that sucks. We've seen the view. And I don't know where you would fit a boathouse. I guess what Lostpedia was trying to map out is that it would be near the dock where the sub is supposed to go. But that but I don't feel like that's that garners the need for a boathouse. A boathouse usually to me is, you know, you're at a park and you need all these things to keep your various aquatic gear. If it's mainly being used for subs, not swan boats or rowboats or anything like that. It's like like sandwiches, you're saying? Yeah, maybe. Subs? I, yeah, maybe there's a there's a, a, a subway community style in the uh, the commissary in Dharma. Are we are we like pretty clearly at a place where we've recorded two lost podcasts in a row, like a day to day, like that we're talking about Duncan's toy chest and subway sandwiches? I mean, you're the one that's doing that. Let's just be clear here. You're the one that's like, oh, this reminds me of subway sandwiches. Though I also did try to. Uh, I did try to, to pilot that the episode be called Over Easy, so I guess I'm none the yeah, better here. You also, like John Locke and me, have blood on your hands, Mike Ve- Oh, very much. Let's not uh, talk about blood in that regard. But but oh. the boathouse is such a, it's such a cockamamie idea. Uh, what are they keeping in there besides a place to keep someone when you when you need to keep a sketchy subject tied up? Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, you. Sc- Scooby dude, me says Hurley just kills me. Uh, and he's got to be like nervous because he's scared of Locke. Locke is freaky. He's like, ah, oh, geez, Locke, I don't know. Is she Scooby dude me? Ah, oh, come on, Hurley. I can't believe you told her. Oh, you done screwed up. I can't believe you did it, Hurley. Sorry, I ate a chicken. I'm burping up chicken, Hurley. Were you going to give me some chicken, Hurley? Now I'm not going to give it because you got Scooby dude by Kate, Hurley. Oh, jeez, I just wanted to watch Xanadu. I just wanted to watch Xanadu, Locke. Uh, so she's gonna go to the boathouse with the food. Here's Miles tied up to the floor. Uh, they're just gonna like really just like uh, cut through the BS here. She wants something from Miles. She wants to know like everything that they know about her. Like yep. who? Like what do you guys? So like, um, let me ask you something. What do you? What do you know about me? Uh, and Miles is like, I'll tell you. I'll tell you everything I know about you, but I need something first. I'm going to need one minute of someone's time. And this is, Mike, the beginning of some fairly poor negotiations on Miles' part, I believe. Yeah, well, it's also, it's it's 
really just bad looks on everyone's part. Ask Kate, for more than one minute. Come on. Well, yeah, at least at least three. This is lost parlance, right? At least three minutes. Uh, you when Kate, but Kate, I don't know why she's not seeing it. Maybe she's trying to Scooby Doo Miles as well when she says. Who who do you need this one minute with? And Miles very smartassly responds with, who do you think? Who do you think, Kate? Who do you think that Miles, who has been hired to find Benjamin Linus, who do you think he might want to talk to? Yeah, who do you think that's going to be? Who but might that be? Miles, uh, we talked about this last episode. He brings up a good point and that essentially Saeed's deal, despite the time now he's tied up as opposed to being loosey-goosey with Jack before, He's where he wants to be. He's that much closer to getting in contact with Benjamin Linus, his intended target. So he's actually, aside from a bit of wrist chafing, he's in a pretty good place right now to make a very interesting deal I guess. Later on. I just, I don't know what his plan is, but whatever. We'll get into it. Uh, so that's what he says. I want a minute of this person's time. All right, we'll get there in a second. We flash forward again. Kate has spent some time in prison at this point as she is reuniting with Duncan. Uh, and Duncan is going to tell Kate that, um, uh, the, that Kate, your mom is going to be the star witness against you. You told her everything you did. So we're pretty screwed unless we can make this about character. Uh, so we should put him on the stand, like him triple underlined in bold italicized as in saying, Hey, if you haven't watched the looking glass recently, remember that mysterious him that was mentioned with Jack and Kate. He's coming back here. The in- Another interesting part of this is Kate is offered a deal. She's offered sort of a, a compromise in the situation of, hey, you do some time behind bars. I think they said like uh, 15, you do seven. And she refuses. I think it's a it's a fun dichotomy in this moment where the exact previous scene, Kate's offered a deal and she takes it. Here she's offered a deal and denies it. And we talked about this in a larger scale with characters like Jack and Saeed. But it's it's fun little moments when we see how different these characters are on island than off yes uh so she doesn't want him anywhere near the trial and dung's like come on let's do it and she goes no you are not using my son uh and then this is like a very big deal uh that this is happening here in this moment kate somehow became the parent of sun kwan despite sun probably being older than kate Maybe Kate, I don't know, displaced Mr. Paik as the leader of Paik Industries and became Son's daddy as a result. Yes. Uh, uh, Queen Queen Daddy Kate. I don't know how that works. Judy Kate. But, uh, <laughs> but she, she's saying, I don't want you to use my son. And I just, I, I don't know why this didn't come earlier in the episode. I think like if the framework is supposed to be like the big reveal about Aaron, which it, it is just so powerful that it works regardless of this stuff. Like, I feel like this is supposed to come in earlier. I say this is a perfect cut to opening title yeah. thing, right? This, I agree, feel, this exactly. feels like the much bigger reveal. I would say maybe if we do a little bit of, of swapping things around, if we open with this stuff and maybe save the lock Ben stuff for a little bit later, that might be a way to help the episode. Maybe. Um, but anyway, uh, so we're just starting to tease that out a little bit. Meanwhile, back at the beach, Jack's trying to make a call. I'm going to make a call. Uh, he's trying to use the phone. It's not really working. Uh, for whatever reason, no one is picking up the phone. Um, son decides like, I should probably talk to Jack. It's been a minute. Hey, Jack, just a question. Is it possible that those two people who are currently eating cereal in our kitchen are trying to kill us? (laughs) 
just like once upon a time when we were eating cereal in the kitchen and looking really sketchy ourselves, basically the lesson of the day, Jack, is don't eat cereal in the kitchen because people are going to be real sketched out by that. Because it possible, maybe, that uh, that these people were trying to murder us uh, and that Locke was right. And Jack's like, don't you dare. Don't start with that. John yeah, Locke was not right. I love that Jackson says Locke doesn't know what he's doing and Sun pokes him by saying, yeah, well, Kate is with him. She did leave your leadership to go to his. So and you might like, be wrong uh, about that. It's a tough thing for me to fight back against. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so we pick back up with Kate, and when we pick back up with Kate, we're also picking up with Claire. And here's a scene that I quite like. We're also picking up Aaron. Sure he's got Ben in his basement. Uh-huh. I saw Rousseau take him in there last night. Does Locke ever go out? No, he's been in there cooking all day. He invited us all over for dinner. Oh, can you get Aaron for me? Just pick him up and rock him a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm just not very good with babies. I wouldn't want him to get more upset. Here, I got him. so good with him. <laughs> Just the last thing I ever thought I'd be good at is being a mum. You know, you should try it sometime. So Josh, I really love that scene as well, with one big exception that we'll get into, but let me pipe in some Jim Fell stuff, because if you listen to the music underscoring the clothes hanging scene, that's a snatch of music that's only used three times in the series. Uh, the first time is when Claire is just sort of standing by the shore, I think, in Deus Ex Machina. The second time is this, but probably most pertinently, the third time is in the very last episode when Claire gives birth and Kate wakes up. Wow. Yeah, because this is, I think, like a moment. Um, this is a really important moment for for Kate talking about motherhood with the mother of kate's child you know mm -hmm. right like like this is a like there's this is not quite a passing of the torch in this moment um but this is kate being around aaron 
in uh in a in a context that she's going to become very familiar with in due time right like this is going to be coming our way pretty soon that kate is going to leave the island and so is aaron and she is going to take on the responsibility of raising this child who she's been with since the very beginning of his life um i really like the way it reflects on claire and this is a an evolution for me i think uh I used to be really upset with the fact that the show didn't give Claire like any um, that the show didn't like let Claire grieve Charlie much at all Mm -hmm. Uh, that she kind of like moves on from that very, very quickly. And I think still that like the bigger issue is the show doesn't give Claire enough to do. Yeah, they don't don't know what to do with her after she's had her baby and she's lost her boyfriend, to be completely frank. Yeah, I think like a uh, Lapidus. Uh, I think that the show just like doesn't do enough with Claire, doesn't try hard enough with Claire. But taking what we do get from Claire, I really love her in this episode of like so much has happened to her. She's been through so much adversity. Uh, she's had to start her her journey of parenthood here on the island with a bunch of strangers uh, as like her support system. When she was intending to give the baby away. So she had to like accept that she was going to be this child's mother. Uh, she had to accept that she was going to have to lean on all these strangers. And then this person who was like her closest support system is now dead. And she is still in like the face of all of this able to to like grind this as, as hard. Like It's just like outstandingly uh, admirable behavior. Yeah. Um, so I just I have a lot of respect for Claire uh, on rewatching this episode. I think that. Uh, the way that Claire uh, is is handling everything right now, um, even though the, I think that they sh- I just wish that they'd done so much more with the character. I think what we're getting here, at least uh, the, the problems that I used to have about her like, not spending any time thinking about Charlie. I don't really have that problem. Yeah, it's just they're they're really fun moments. And I think Emily DeRavin is trying to make a meal out of them, but she's being given crumbs. At this point, as we talked about, I think I forget when we talked about this, but I, I do think it's it's sad that we don't have a season four episode focused on Claire. Maybe it would have been in the cards had the writer strike not happened. But these small moments I do enjoy. I feel like this this also has a little bit of a sting to it as well, considering that it's a nice reminder about how Claire and Kate have been pretty close buddies on the island ever since Claire, you know, read Kate's horoscope. Essentially, they went on the maternity leave voyage together but things are going to turn when, you know, Kate comes back to the island in season six and Claire believes that her best friend stole her baby. You know, that that is a deep, deep betrayal. And so while, as you say, it's a great ringing forward to the fact that this is the child that Kate's going to raise in Claire's absence. It also reminds us that this is the person that Claire is going to hate for such a large portion of time and ultimately the person that's going to convince Claire to leave the island. I will say my one sticking point with this scene is that i think they're a little too heavy-handed with how uncomfortable kate is being a mother right now just in the simple aspect of her saying "Ooh, i don't know if i can hold aaron i don't feel too good with babies like i don't know why she feels suddenly squidgy about that considering that to your point she was there when claire gave birth to aaron you would assume that she probably has helped claire in some aspects with aaron i don't necessarily think it's realistic that for this now after all this time kate's still like oh okay i know i helped you know have him come into the world but oh baby i don't want to touch the baby yeah yeah i think i don't know uh it's just i i wish that this episode was like 
I don't know, maybe a little more about what it was about. Does that make sense? I mean, I would have loved if this episode became less focused on Kate and Sawyer and more focused on Kate and Claire. I and think I that's, guess, but I that's guess, one I, simple substitution. I guess one reason in favor of it being about uh, Kate and Sawyer to the degree that it is, is I think like, the, does the reveal at the end land the same way if you don't think that maybe that's um, that uh, that Aaron ultimately that Kate's child is Sawyer's child? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never I never personally thought that Kate was pregnant because it never made sense to me why we would have this entire son pregnancy thing and then also a Kate pregnancy thing. That would feel yeah. completely redundant to me. I would never understand why they would make two characters purposely pregnant at the same time, unless they want to create some sort of drama out of that. So I felt like if you had to have a pregnant character, it was first Claire, then it gets displaced onto Sun. I don't think we need to add Kate in there as sort of a third ingredient. Right. Um, all right. Well, let's go back to the future one more time. Uh, and uh, Oh, jeez, a- block! Yeah. Oh, God! Yeah, alright, so we're getting into some some, uh, some the, the heart of the trial, Mike, as Dr. Jack takes the stand. Don't fire me, okay? What? We got killed in the opening. I had to do this. Does the defense have a witness? Yes, we do, Your Honor. The defense calls Dr. Jack Shepard to the witness stand. Your Honor, I'd like to renew my objection to this witness on the basis of relevance. And I'm going to renew my overruling of your objection. You are to be aware that this witness did not meet the defendant until after the alleged crime she's being charged with is to be viewed as a character witness only. Proceed. Please raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Yes. Dr. Shepard, could you please tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if there are any of you who don't read newspapers or the internet or watch (laughs) television, how you met the defendant? Um, on September 22nd, 2004, Kate, uh, Miss Austin, and I were both passengers on Oceanic Flight 815, which crash-landed on an island in the South Pacific. Were you aware that Miss Austin was a fugitive being transported by a United States Marshal on that flight to Los Angeles for trial? I did learn that eventually, yes. From the U.S. Marshal? No, the Marshal died in the crash. I never spoke to him. Miss Austin told me. Did you ever ask her if she was guilty? No. Never. Well, that seems like a reasonable question. Why not? I just assumed that there'd been some kind of mistake. And why would you think that? Only eight of us survived the crash. We landed in the water. I was hurt pretty badly. In fact, If it weren't for her, I would have never made it to the shore. She took care of me. She took care of all of us. She she gave us first aid, water, found food, made shelter. She tried to save the other two, but they didn't. Miss Austin, please sit down. This has nothing to do with anything. 
This is my trial, and I don't want him to say anything else. It's fine. I have no more questions, Your Honor. Miss Dunbrook, your witness. That was very moving, Dr. Shepard. I only have one question for you. Do you love the defendant? Objection. You open this door, Mr. Forrester. I'm going to allow it. Dr. Shepard, do you love Miss Austin? No. Not anymore. Lies, lies, they're all lies. He's lying. He's lying, He's lying on the stand. He's such a liar. Why are you why are you lying? His pants are engulfed in flames the Jack, entire time he's on the stand. Jack cannot stop lying. He got the taste of lying and he couldn't stop. He said there's gonna be an episode next season called The Lie, and I wanna the make lie, a prequel. I wanna I wanna get there. I wanna lie. So yeah, this is our this is our first little glimpse of the press conference that we're going to get to in There's No Place Like Home. I think this is our first real mention of the line, not even the lie, but sort of the narrative that the Oceanic Six decided to put together on Penny's boat, actually Penny's boat, as to what they said happened to them. Yeah, uh, so like there's like, and I think that's why like obviously the flash forward music is what it is, and it often is being played in these moments. But I just love that sort of like. Um, that uncanny valley quality to the theme uh, because I think it fits really well because Jack is taking the stand and this is not a guy who bullshits very often. So the mm-hmm. fact that he is, he is taking the stand and lying uh, up and down about the, the account of how this went down based on everything we saw is just like, I don't know. It's very surreal. It's very unsettling. This is a really good scene as well. Yeah. I really, it's a really interesting scene for Jack and for Kate, right? Because like you said, Jack is someone who, would not do this. I mean, maybe he might show not show his cards here and there, but he is not someone to do the Sawyer route of just lying up and down the river. But I think part of that is also informed by he gets called by Duncan and says, you need to you can do this to protect Kate. And despite his uh, saying anything but on the stand, he very much does love her. And so we'll say anything in one, including I would imagine really painting her as the hero, the MVP, if you will, of their time uh, stranded on that island that he hopes that will help get her off the stand. But in an interesting move, Kate objects to this. She pulls the role of the lawyer and essentially interrupts her. She looks sickened. I think Evangeline Lilly does a really interesting job in these flash forwards of her physicalization of everything catching up to her because this is this is a moment that kate has always feared right she's yes. constantly been running because she's always feared being caught and now that this reality is manifesting itself it's coming about in the oddest ways and i can imagine from this perspective she is sort of done with the lies specifically I, she probably doesn't want to drag anyone else down with her into this web of lies that she has just strung up for so many years of her life up to this point i think the moment where kate interrupts Jack's testimony is probably the most interesting part of this entire scene because you would imagine that Kate, who she herself has created many narratives for herself, she wouldn't stop one that painted her in a very favorable light. But it's clear here she's ready to turn over a new leaf. Yeah, uh, I think like the... the the way in which it, it washes on... Uh, I have a lot of props to give to Evangeline Lilly. And like, um, Kate in this mode 
moving forward is um, there's there's a lot that I really like about the character. Uh, and I think a lot of it comes from Evangeline Lilly specifically and her performance. Uh, and I think that the way that that's happened in this scene and just like that, like you're saying, like she's the slow rise up of her being like, stop. It's just very, very, very powerful. It's torturous to her in this moment. And, and that's really, really interesting that the, the idea of her being lied about and being favored upon when she doesn't deserve so in her opinion sickens her. And I agree. I think Kate post Island, we talked about this last week. It has one of the best arcs from a character perspective because I think Kate finds strength here. Whereas on Island, we're even seeing as soon as this episode, when there are moments where Kate has strength and has a, a cool head about her, there's still a part of her that gets back in bed with Sawyer or or does something with Jack. And it feels like Kate is using the opportunity off Island to sort of cut those ties, move forward with quote-unquote her son, and become a new person entirely. And that's a really, really cool piece of that character story. Totally agreed. Completely agreed. Um, back on the island, uh, we're at Sawyer's house. Hurley wants to know, do we want to watch Xanadu or Satan's Doom? It's always Xanadu. Olivia Newton-John singing ELO in I've roller skates. It. I've it's, never seen it. It's so freaking chintzy, but great. Olivia Newton-John is a Greek goddess sent down to Earth and to disguise herself as a mortal. She is like a roller skating you know, Malibu Barbie is straight out of the 80s. It's got a fantastic soundtrack by ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. I absolutely love it. It's a guilty pleasure. Give it, give me that over Satan's Doom anytime. I'm totally Team Hurley here. Even though I think Sawyer is Team No Movie, I'm reading, please. Yeah, he loves to read. I love that even with movies now back on the menu, Sawyer's like, oh man, but I've been reading at least a book every week. I don't want TV to interrupt this incredible streak that I yeah, have. And Sawyer is reading The Inve the Invention of Morale by Adolfo Bioy Casares. Apparently, the story is about a fugitive who hides on an island in the South Pacific. And later in that book, apparently, he encounters some people who appear and disappear at random points in time, and they don't really exist. So essentially, Sawyer is reading the novelization of what Kate did. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Kate shows up. Uh, Hurley takes a hike. Uh, and Sawyer and Kate are going to share uh, a glass of your finest Dharma boxed wine. Uh, <laughs> big, big, like, freshman year of college energy here. It's oh, great. listen, senior year it's of college cute. as well. I'm not a discriminating sure. taste. Hell, I'll say even early 20s. If I was still drinking, like if there was a box wine night, I'd be pretty psyched about yeah, it. I'm if, sure if the purpose is to get inebriated. You yeah. know, taste not be box wine here. does the job in a big way, in a profound way. Do you think um, Lot's company made the boxes for the Dharma box wine? Oh, maybe that makes sense. Uh, you know, they sent it back in time into the past. Yeah, or maybe exactly. It's like, or or the initial version of that company. Hurley founds that company, right? Because he's going to end up owning it one day. Correct. And says, correct. okay, we're going to supply all the boxes for the Dharma supply drops. And that's why they still last through decades later. Mike, this is very smart. Uh, very, very, very good idea here. Uh, especially because John Locke would be like, all right, Hurley, throw the boxes into the portal, Hurley. Oh, right, gonna... where, where are they going to end up, Locke? Uh, and so uh, this is when uh, Sawyer's like, all right, so what do you want? And she's like, nothing. He's like, come on, what do you want? Nothing. Kate, what? Kate, Kate. We, we, we literally had this conversation in season three, Kate. 
Yeah, and so she's like, "All right, I want you to do something to me uh, for me." Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I can do both. So it's like I could do both of the both of those things. Uh, but no, it was a great a great line where it's like, "Listen, if you want to use me for something, tell me." So she goes, "I want to use you for something." I just love that yeah. line. I think it's great. Um, all right, so we cut to Locke's house. Sawyer brings back Ammon over, and this is another demerit for John Locke, where like. He's he's in charge of everything right now, Mike. And all that we've seen him do this whole day is make breakfast, break breakfast, uh, threaten to shoot Kate with a gun and go about his day. Kill a which chicken. Includes, which includes, yeah, he killed a chicken, which includes uh, going about his day includes eventually having enough free time to play uh, board games with Sawyer. So what is this guy doing? Well, he doesn't know. That's the thing. I think he probably is trying to come across like he has a grand plan. And right now they are waiting for what comes next, waiting for Jacob to send the next message. But he is just biding his time at this point. And in terms of timing, you know, Claire mentioned in that clip before that they're going to have the big family dinner. I'm assuming is this after the dinner? Because night has fallen by the time that this whole breakout occurs. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe. I'm not sure exactly on the timing. I was also wondering, like, did Kate spend the night the other... Like, how many nights does she spend here? I two? Was, yeah, I guess... Mm, I don't know. I guess, yeah, two. Because I would imagine that she... I would imagine that the whole morning coffee scene place took place the day after the events of The Economist. I don't think it would make sense for her to say, I'm staying behind, and then say, ooh, Claire, let's get coffee. Like, she made all those arrangements over the course of a few hours. I would imagine that a day passed. But then again... Jack and them come back and they say, oh, yeah, you know, Saeed and Desmond made it to the chopper. So has it only been a few hours after they took off in the helicopter? Yeah, it could be. I, I mean, it, there's all sorts of time travel shenanigans that are that are causing all sorts of problems. Uh, whatever. Uh, Sawyer comes over. He's like, well, you got uh, got this whole problem with Kate. Don't really know what's going on. And Locke's like, whoa, what's going on? Locke is a sucker for Sawyer. And this is after Locke had conned Sawyer. Maybe Sawyer in this moment is like, I have no problem conning you back. Yeah. You made me kill your father. And not that it wasn't cathartic. But, but come on. You could have been upfront about it. Let me also say, actually, speaking of that, I didn't notice this, but Lostpedia pointed out, apparently Ben is being held in the same room that Anthony Cooper was being held in. Which I yeah. find very interesting and yes. very symbolic with what John, how John Locke feels about Benjamin Linus in this moment. Yeah, I think it's pretty compelling. Uh, so Kate's trying to get Miles and Ben in a room together. And this is like, oh, what are we waiting for? We got to go stop this. We got to figure this out. And so they go on the run. But, oh, Miles is free from the boathouse. Yeah, so he's not I, there. I find it interesting that Kate's plan was, OK, let's let let's get Ben to uh, get Miles to Ben rather than vice versa. I guess maybe she felt that it was easier to break into the boathouse than to break into the basement. Yeah, it seems like no one's giving much of a shit about Miles other than to feed him every once in a while, whereas Benjamin Linus is uh, is public enemy number one for everyone. Uh, so that probably does make sense. It's sort of the, the you know, the, the, the reverse engineering of this plot. And it works. They get Locke out of there and Sawyer very successfully is like, oh my god, I can't believe they're not here. And Locke doesn't take any time to like really study that, which is funny. Um, Kate and Miles break into Locke's house. They go down into the basement. Uh, Kate shoots a Locke. She fires a gun in here. That's not exactly subtle. Well, I think a Locke threatened to shoot her beforehand, so why not you I do the same? revenge. <laughs> very fair. Uh, and so Miles and Ben come face to face. Let's listen to it. One minute. 
Go. How about some privacy? 55 seconds. You know who I am? Yes. You know who I work for? Yes. You know he's put a lot of time and energy into finding you. So now I found you. And I can tell him exactly where you are. Or I can lie and tell him you're already dead. And I'd be willing to do that for 3.2 million dollars. You've arranged this meeting so you could blackmail me? It's extortion if you want to get technical. 3.2, why not 3.3 or 3.4? What makes you think I have access to that kind of money? Do not treat me like I'm one of them. Like I don't know who you are and what you can do. Your friend Charlotte has seen me. She knows I'm alive. I'll take care of Charlotte. You just worry about getting me the money. You have two days. My present situation is a little bit restricted. Can that be amended? Okay. One week in cash. Time's up. Don't even think about it. I said time's up. You got your meeting. Now I want my answer. We got your name when you called the freighter. Of course, we know about you and everybody else on the 815 manifest. I prove it. Your name is Catherine Ann Austin. You're wanted for murder, fraud, arson, a whole bunch of other stuff we can't remember. You're a fugitive. Got caught in Australia, and the feds will bring you back. So, yeah, we know. If I were you, I'd stay right here on the island. Who knows, maybe you didn't survive the crash. Who would have thought that Miles Strom and Dr. Evil both have a problem with low-balling <laughs> offers? Yeah. Two, three point two hundred dollars. <laughs> so, yeah, this this has always been weird to me. This entire idea, I mean, I guess it just shows that... Billion, yeah. It's why three, so, and even the show makes fun of it. Well, yeah, the show makes fun of it, right? And I think some like at Hoth, right, where Bram abducts him and he's like, "Hey, don't work for Charles Whitmore." And he says, "Oh, well, you're gonna have to pay me twice Whitmore's offer, which is three point two million dollars." So clearly, he just has this figure stuck in his head, Faraday style, right? Uh, whatever. I I had no interest in this at the time. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes Lost does this and it's like catnip for me. Mm -hmm. And then other times Lost does this and I just, it really doesn't appeal to me at all. And so it's, it's hard for me to find the line sometimes between when I'm enjoying Lost, like being like mysterious for mystery's sake. And when I find that to be a little bit repellent, I find the $3.2 million like mystery of it all. And like generating a mystery around why does Miles need specifically that number? Just it, it, it has a uh, guy on a boat energy for me. Yeah, well, I think it's also because it's a new character, right? So it's it's a it's a mystery that isn't exactly revolving around anything. The lack of payoff also doesn't help that this is essentially a question without an answer. The only thing I can really think of is just maybe Miles had this number in his head of like a number that represents him going away for the rest of his life and not dealing with any of this business. But also at the same time, getting more out of him. Why $3.2 million? That is such a low 
amount of money. It's just it's so ridiculous. I guess the the loan. I benefit. do like Ben like speaking for us though, being like, why not three point three or three point four? Yeah. Like he's like as exhausted by this offer as anyone else. I do love how curt Ben is, though, you know, uncharacteristically so in talking with Miles, because we know Ben is a verbose MFer. But Miles asks, do you know who I am? Yes. Do you know who I work for? Yes. He knows who he works for, obviously. So he is not going to reveal any information at this moment until Miles has a clearly different purpose. I guess one of the benefits of this scene is that it really does show that it highlights Miles' personality. And while he is so different from I'd say his polar opposite in Daniel Faraday in that Daniel is so concerned with the weird, interesting stuff going on at the island and the mission at hand, whereas Miles is trying to get some greediness out of all this. But again, as we said, very Sawyer light. He even gets a Sawyer moment here where, where Kate pushes him up against the wall and he says, uh, that's hot. Again, it's, it's very much repeating those same beats, except we're not necessarily following through on those beats the way we do with Sawyer. Right. Yeah. I think like we, you know, I think Miles ends up becoming like, uh, you know, like a, a great friend of Sawyer's. But like, does Miles have like enough of an emotional arc on his own? I think is something that we'll we'll weigh in as we yeah. as we go deeper into the show. Um, but for now, uh, he's he's been recaptured and uh, Kate's in trouble as well. And Kate now knows what they know. And the answer to that is they know everything. Uh, so if she leaves the island. They know it all. They know the full story. She's going to have to confront that. Um, a little while later, Claire's there. She's with Kate. And then Locke shows up, wants to be alone, wants to know everything that went down between Miles and Ben. Uh, Kate basically tells him everything. You know, it, it wasn't malicious stuff. She really just wanted to get the information that, you know, uh, Locke wasn't letting her get from Miles. Uh, but that's not good enough for Locke. Locke wants her gone. Yep, you're not welcome here anymore. Yeah. And so in an episode that is all about Kate trying to find a home, we see her in the present getting kicked out of one, and we see her in the future forcibly welcoming herself into one. And, I mean, this also shows, I think, uh, Locke's disciplinary skills. He's going to talk about that this as much with Miles, that this is sort of a wake-up call. No more chicken-killing back game and playing Locke. Now I've got to be someone that lays down the law because these kids will shirk off and start abducting people if I'm not watching closely enough. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to kick her out. Of course, Sawyer's going to be like, he can't kick you out. And, and also, yeah. I should say that Kate, it doesn't matter if, like, it's nighttime. A baby is most likely sleeping. Don't blast Patsy Cline while you're in the living room. That's bad roommate mm -hmm. etiquette from my point of view. Is that better or worse than the fact that she shot a gun? Ooh. In the middle of the barracks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's another bad one as well. But at least that was not in the immediate vicinity of the baby, right? Like, maybe there's a chance, like, like Claire says, he was born on this island, he can sleep through a lot. But don't just put on your tunes and kick back while there's a child getting some much-needed sleep in the other room. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, so he's going to kick her out. Uh, eventually, uh, I already started down this path, even though this is a little out of sequence. Sawyer is going to tell Kate, like, don't leave. Locke's gonna, you know, be fine. He can't banish you. I'm unbanishing you. I'll keep you safe. Kissy, kissy face. We'll get back into what's going on with them in the morning. Let's flash into the future. Uh, a reunion, Mike Bloom, between Kate and her mother. I worked it out so you two can have a few minutes of privacy. I don't need any privacy. You need to talk to her, Kate. Be outside. 
Hello, Catherine. Was it true what he said? Dr. Shepard, that's your hero. Why won't you talk to me? Because, Mom, the last time I tried to talk to you when you got sick, when I risked my life to see you, you screamed for help and called the police. Please. I don't want to fight with you, Catherine. Why are you here? Because. changed when I thought you were dead. My doctors have given me six months to live for the last four years. I don't know how long I'm going to last. I came here to tell you that I, I don't want to testify. see my grandson. You came here to make a deal? Just want to meet him. I don't want you anywhere near him. We're finished. We're finished. This is a tough scene but i love this scene it's so talk me talk me through why i i think it's i don't want to say it's realistic but it's one of those rare scenes where you can see where both of the characters are coming from now look i have been very hard on diane jansen before in her previous few episodes as to what she did with kate particularly you know when she came back and the relationship she was in with wayne and i do think though there is legitimacy to this idea of like when the finality of death appears in your life, it really does make you question your relationship with that person regrets you may have. I'm sure that we have all had experiences where maybe we, you know, fell apart in terms of relationships with somebody that was close in our lives, whether a friend met friend or a family member. And then that person happens to pass away and your mind goes through not only the good times you had together as well as the bad, but it does make you think, you know, I should have taken the time to smooth things over with them. I should have taken the time to apologize, to to say what I had to say, because now there's all this unfinished business. When that business opens back up, I think you take you take that opportunity. And so I do think that Diane's change of heart, I personally think it's legitimate. I very much see a world where and when she thinks that Kate is dead for this portion of time, that she really comes to terms with what Kate did, why she did it. And then on top of that, that not only is Kate back, but Kate has a grandson. That also is a huge thing as well, because let's add on top of that, the fact that Diane is dying and has been dying. So there's a ticking clock right now and a chance that if she does not 
make good with her daughter, there's a chance that she may never see her again, and she may never see her only grandchild again. And that is something big for a person. And so I, I do think this is a really great way to conclude the Diane Jansen arc, because I do believe this is the last time that we ever see her on the show, because despite all the things she may have done to betray Kate due to, I think, her own love or otherwise in the past, I think in this moment, she she comes back to Kate, I think, sincerely. But on the other side of things, I can understand Kate's belligerence as well. Considering how crushy was that her own mother, the person she was doing this all for that started her down this trail, that sent her on the run, she was the one to sell her out. That is unforgivable in Kate's world. And so she, when Diane does this, Kate does not respond warmly. She does not respond with even a, a sense of gratitude. She just responds by saying, then don't do it. And then when Diane men invokes the grandson's name, I think that unfortunately supplants an idea of Kate's head of, okay, she has another motivation here. And so then Kate goes down the trail of, oh, no, 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 no. Forget all this. I don't care if you testify against me. If this is just get to get to, to use me to get to somebody else, I don't care. And so I actually really do feel both sides going on here, despite the relationship that they may have. I do believe that Diane had this come to Jesus moment and is now trying to make good sincerely with her daughter to see her possibly one last time. But I also believe that Kate felt immensely understandably betrayed and miffed at what Diane did before and believes that she may have ulterior motives. Um, when did, did Diane authentically plan on testifying against Kate? And was she authentically holding the let me see my grandson threat over Kate's head to drop it? I don't know. I see. I don't. I personally, I think that that is important to me in the analysis because like that's manipulative. Right. I, yeah. But I don't know if if it really is like I'll do it if you let me see my grandson. I, I do wonder if she was approached to testify against Kate, but she never had the intention of actually doing it maybe she would have taken the stand and instead talked all about kate as a person or something and, and she would have testified but not necessarily in the vein of what the the prosecution was intending to do and then maybe just the way that things were going she right. did she then decides in that moment okay it's better if i just don't testify in general i mean she d ends up not going through with it at the end of the day despite kate withholding aaron from her right um yeah, I mean, I I think like I'm in, I'm inclined to give her some room here that she does do the right thing. Uh, she ultimately backs down, and without her, there's no real case against Kate anymore, or at least uh, it's enough that the the prosecution wants to come to an uh, an agreement, right? Because the lone person that she admitted everything to will not say that she admitted it, so there really is no case there. For at least from this perspective, granted. There were still things like the bank robbery that they could try her for that I guess they choose not to because of this deal that they get to. Right. My question, I guess, is like how much of that is uh, that Diane sort of like backed down of her own volition because she had sort of this realization that she shouldn't be doing this to her daughter versus when she comes to see Kate again and has this conversation that Kate's the one who like kind of reads her for filth. And it's like if you're going to not like don't do this because it's the right thing to do. Don't 
don't like step away from this because you're trying to you know take advantage of me and 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 your your grandchild um you know i just it's a little bit complicated for me in in discerning how that all shakes out um but I, either either way she ultimately does do the right thing and i think for me like it matters the most that she does the right thing um it doesn't like absolve her of some of the, the worst things, but also I, I have been of the mind that like Diane has had a really hard life. Like yeah. she has been like very like emotionally whiplashed and abused and uh, beyond just emotionally uh, abused. Like I think like there's a lot there with this character that has been pretty tough. Well, I think as well, what you were sort of describing in terms of that manipulation, that doesn't feel like Diane Jansen to me. That feels more like Susan Lloyd. You know, that that she would do that type of stuff. Diane Jansen, I think, is more so emotionally shooting from the hip. Like you've said before, and maybe something that I find a bit more indefensible in the past, was she ends up ratting out Kate because of her love for Wayne. I don't think she's necessarily a character that is capable of trying to broker this deal with Kate. That just feels like out of character for Diane Jansen. So I am inclined to believe that she does come from a place of sincerity. But I would love to hear people's perspectives about it as well. Because again... This is the last time we see the character. This is saying goodbye to someone who is seminal in Kate's life. So I'm sure people have a lot of thoughts about it. Totally. Absolutely. Um, all right. So that goes down. Uh, then we go. Uh, well, you know, you know who's not going down Sawyer, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Well, we talked about that already. Uh, so we'll get back to Sawyer in a moment. First at the beach uh, that we're doing the memory tests with Daniel. Uh, and he's struggling to remember the cards, but two out of three, it's progress. Uh, and then they they get like confronted by Jack and Joe being like, "Why is the boat not talking to us? What's going on? Where are our friends?" And Jail's like, "Relax, I'll call." They call Regina. Yeah, well, uh, well, they have. A, so I'm a little confused about this. So they have an emergency line that's different from the line that 815 has been using. Regina picks that up. Is she just like the hotline operator? When they called Regina before, were they using the regular line or the emergency line? Yeah, uh, I think it's uh, it's like the Regina phone. You know, Regina's on the Regina uh, phone. She's got her own special number. Okay, so so it just so happened that every time they've called Regina, it's just been on the Regina line. There's a Minkowski line and a Regina line, and everyone uses the everyone uses the Regina line if they can help it. If they can help it, and so they call Regina, and they're like, "All right, so where's everyone?" And they're like, "Huh?" And they're like, "Uh, "You know, the people, Frank." And the 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 Scottish dude and the guy whose hair in the future is going to be lusciously beautiful as an assassin. And they're like, no one's here. I thought the helicopter was with you. And so everyone is suddenly like, eh, Jack is very angry. Worth noting, I feel like uh, you're already starting to see signs of appendicitis on Jack, I feel like. Yeah, he's starting to become, I think, a little more... It's like slowly starting to look a little haggard. A, yeah, exactly. A little more wearied. I would yeah. say, but I think the adrenaline is still pushing him forward. But yeah, I think exhaustion is starting to settle in on Jack more than anything. But that will very clearly manifest itself in his his uh, his gut by the end of this all. Yes. Uh, so that's what's up there. Uh, everyone's very upset about that. We'll get into that uh, with the constant. Um, in the meantime, a thing happens at the boathouse. Morning. Listen, I don't know what you think you're doing, but you're wasting Open your, your mouth. Open your mouth. Wide. Oh. oh. Don't oh. talk. Bite down. Bite oh. down. Oh. Oh. 
I realized that when I tied you up in here the other day, I made the mistake of failing to introduce myself. My name is John Locke, and I'm responsible for the well-being of this island. Eventually, Miles, you're going to tell me who you are, and you're going to tell me about the people on the boat, and you're going to tell me why you're so interested in Ben. In the meantime, however, you're going to keep your mouth shut. I learned something yesterday. No use having rules if there's no punishment for breaking them. You'll be fine if you bite down on the trigger. Enjoy your breakfast. Would you rather eat two eggs and melon or a grenade for breakfast? Have you ever seen the the Robert Loja commercial uh, for Minute Maid Orange Tangerine? I don't uh, think so. It's from the eighties. Robert Loja shows up to this kid who's uh, eating breakfast, but he won't eat breakfast. Uh, and his mom is trying to convince him to eat breakfast, but the kid won't do it. And so Robert Loja magically appears, and uh, the kid goes, "Robert Loja," and Robert Loja goes. Timmy, your mother's right. New Minute Maid Orange Tangerine tastes great. It's got as much calcium as milk. Uh, and then the kid says, if you say so, Robert Loja. And then Robert Loja says, enjoy your breakfast. Uh, so I've said enjoy your breakfast for many years now because uh, they memified that Robert Loja commercial. And I howled uh, today when I watched John Locke say that because I'd forgotten uh, that he says that. So that's something that I've been saying for a long time that I did not realize also had uh, common threads with my favorite TV show of all time. I always think of Robert Loja when I think of this. I don't think of John Locke. Is it real? Does the least realistic part of that commercial that a kid can recognize Robert Loja by face? <laughs> Whoa, Robert Loja. Well, character Timmy. actor Robert Loja. What are you your doing here? Your mother's right. Um, so, I I mean, I love the scene. It's badass. It's hilarious. It's ridiculous. But, like, the technicals, right? Like, <laughs> uh this dude's head is gonna blow up for yeah, sure. I mean, Miles is gonna like get, his jaw's gonna ache. He, if, like, like this dude's not gonna be able to keep a grenade in his mouth for longer than two minutes at most. So, if, like, what happens? He leaves the room and then he comes back. Ah, Miles is just kidding. If Miles is a mouth breather, God. Well, maybe I do wonder though if that actually is a live grenade or if this is Locke just trying to screw well, with him. Well, that's another thing. So, so there's a couple of things that are wrong with this tactically, uh, <laughs> where he either like has put a live grenade aid in Miles's mouth and he sticks around long enough to monologue. What if Miles could not keep that beefy grenade between his teeth for longer than 10 seconds? Maybe even 5. You couldn't exactly blame him. I think it would probably be pretty hard to bite a grenade for a second, mm -hmm. let alone as long as he's telling him to do it. Uh so he could have blown himself up, but he has uber faith in the island, I guess. But like then like when he leaves, how is he not going to expect Miles to drop that grenade so soon so then grenades just, the grenade's gonna blow up and Miles is gonna blow up so that's bad but if it's not a live grenade and Miles eventually drops the grenade what has he bought from Miles now Miles knows that his threats are meaningless well I think maybe he can then say next time it won't be a fake grenade you know he could say hey look at the power I hold over you at this point because I agree if I'm Miles, as much as I might value my life in $3.2 million, I spit that thing right back at John Locke and we blow both of us up. Uh, yeah. just, and maybe Benjamin Lyons is hopefully in the vicinity so I get everything done at once. It's an interesting tactic. It's very John Locke, right, in that it is literally ham-handed. It is him just brutally forcing his way into making a very dictatorial, rule-enforcing move. 
I do find it interesting that he says, my name is John Locke and I'm responsible for the well-being of this island. If there was a theme to this episode, Josh, I would actually say guardianship in that there's the idea of Kate being the guardian to Aaron or Kate perhaps being a guardian of her own fate, as well as Locke believing he's not only the guardian of the island, but also of these people as well. They're sort of dealing with that in various ways. Sawyer dealing with the possibility of him being his own guardian to, I guess, multiple children at this point. But yeah, this is where we we're going to leave things, uh, specifically from the Locke perspective. He he thinks he's got his groove back, but this is far from further instructions in that regard. Yeah, so, I mean, it's funny. It's definitely a great scene. It's, it's very cathartic, right? Like, someone has been uh, looking yeah. to shut Miles up for four <laughs> episodes up to this point. I'm not bad at it. I just have questions, I guess, about the process. <laughs> a, few, a few unanswered questions. Um, all right, so there's that. And then we get to Kate and Sawyer, who are uh, in bed together. And this is effectively the breakup scene, Mike. So let's listen in. Why? What'd I say? Forget it. All right. You still think you might be pregnant. I'm not worried. I'm not pregnant. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) I mean... Woo! Would it have been the worst thing in the world? Yes, yes, it would have been the worst thing in the world. What would we have done with a baby? I'm going back to the beach. Beach? What, you're leaving because of this? That's that? You crawl up in my bed one second, and the next you just... Goodbye, James. Don't make this about me, Kate. You didn't want a baby any more than I did. You're just looking for some excuse to split, and now you got one. That's all right, Freckles. I ain't going to hold it against you. I'm just going to sit right here in my comfy bed. Because in about a week, you'll find some reason to get pissed at Jack and bounce right back to me. And that's going to be the last time they see each other until the helicopter, right? I'm, or pretty close to yeah, it. Pretty close to it. I think the groups are going to mingle together once more right. once once we get to really the end of the series and everyone goes off in their separate ways. But this but is it'll last... be like their last time to have like a real moment together before the helicopter because things are going to go too quickly. And I find that meaningful, and that I, I think this does feel a sort of bow, a curtain call for skate, as it were, and maybe just a microcosm of why it didn't work out, uh, at least in this moment, where they're clearly, I think, in in separate positions at this point, thinking about separate things. Yeah, this this is a tough scene for Sawyer, especially. Look, we, we know what he's been through, and, and like we talked about before, he knows that he is just being used for many things, also as sort of a play toy in a love triangle, quadrangle at this point. But dude, don't... When when a woman refuses sex with you, don't be like, oh, right, that's because you still might be pregnant, right? It's just, it's a bad look. It's a bad, bad look. And then he keeps digging in on the subject, not really uh, paying attention to, I think, the reaction that she's giving. It's just an ultimate testament to why the show ultimately went with Jack and Kate. I think it really underlines how Kate and Sawyer are fundamentally important to each other in the overall story, 
but I think they're not necessarily the one at the end of the day. Yeah, I think like they're not ready. They're not ready at this moment in time. They'll be ready at other moments in time, but at that point they will have moved on from each other. Um but it's it's why and it's it's one of the the axes I have to grind and like still part of like the process of like fully unpacking what the finale means and the flash sideways and everything means. But like these two people live. They do yeah. live. It's not a, it's not impo- like it's not, I have yeah, a hard it's not time. impossible that they get back together off the island. I have a hard I have a hard time believing that uh they they you know take a Jira off the island at the end of this and we're supposed to believe that they have long full lives after this and they never like got together again at least like once. Uh I I do struggle to believe that personally, but I don't um, I don't know. I I would think post Juliet how fundamentally changed Sawyer is. I think it's a thing where I love you but not capital L. Maybe yeah. Kate would more so be the person to do it because she just has that that final kiss with Jack on the rocks and that's sort of it. But Sawyer built this whole life with this woman. I don't know if he would necessarily move on into that. But I think the Sawyer at this point, to your point, is very much not that Sawyer. And I think yeah. Kate sort of had the realization over this episode that, okay, Sawyer convinced her in the last episode that there's no reason for her to leave the island that, you know, this is what she's she's bound to do. This is where she's bound to live the rest of her life. And now she realizes, okay, maybe I'm not supposed to stay here either. That yeah. whatever's out there might be better than where I am right now because the life that's being handed to me right now between dictatorial lock and just plain Dick Sawyer is not optimal at the moment. Yeah, who's dictatorial? Um, all right, we get a flash forward. This is when we find out that Diane has decided to not testify. We're going to come to a deal. Uh, the prosecution wants Kate to go to jail for four years. There's that number again, but nope, that's not what's going to happen. Uh, so time served plus 10 years probation and Kate cannot leave the state. Kate's like, deal. Yeah. And Howie Mandel's like, now you're sure. Yeah, exactly. He's uh, like, the banker's over there in his shaded. That, that sort of is like the Charles Winmore of this is the banker, the man, the man on the boat the entire time. Yeah, it's, it, maybe it's Duncan with all the toy chests. That's the, the deal or no deal. <laughs> well, to that point, though, Duncan nearly does get Kate off completely, right? He puts out, you put this woman on the stand for, for, what res- for rescuing her mother from an abusive husband. What do you think you're doing? But Kate sees an out here. She basically sees a mandated excuse to have to stay in one place. And she surprisingly takes it. And there's also some very interesting symbology here where the very first time we see her in this flash forward, she's in the she's in the limo after eating that cheese pizza entirely to herself. And the Duncan tells her, you know, we're going to go through the front door, not the back. It's all about really putting forward this image of who Kate is. But now she's going out the back door. She just wants us to be over. And I think that's who Kate is. I think this is this idea of much like we talked about with the wardrobe changes who Kate presented herself as, who they tried to dress Kate up as, versus by the end of this, Kate coming out as herself by the end of this. I I think it's a a really clean episode from that perspective. Like we said, I think there could be a lot more better written stuff around it, but I really like the emotional arc of Kate in this episode, going through the front door, coming out the back door. Coming out, coming out the back door. uh, And out the back door is where Kate meets Jack. Hey. How did you know I'd be here? Uh, your... Your lawyer gave me the heads up. 
You owe me one. Thank you. For saying what you did. You're welcome. You know, Jack, I've heard you say that story so many times. I'm starting to think you believe it. I just... I just wanted to tell you that what I said in there... I didn't mean it. You want to follow me? Come by for a visit. Uh, I, I actually have to get over to the hospital. But um, maybe you and I could grab some coffee together or something. Jack. But until you do, until you want to, there's no you and me going for coffee. But, um, if at any time you change your mind, come and see us. Yeah. Okay. Change your mind. I'll be first <laughs> in line. Oh, Gonna uh, get coffee with my girl yeah. Katie. Yeah, that's right. Keep singing it. That's, that's all more. I know. That's all you got. <laughs> that's all I've got so far. For I don't know what the what would the ABBA parody lost band be? L O T L O S T instead of A B B A. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Uh, or yeah, I don't have a. I don't. Someone's gonna be quicker on the uptake than me on this one. Um, Jack and Kate. You know, they're getting closer. Uh, but Jack just can't do the one thing. And I think even up to this moment, the show is trying to make you feel like, well, it's because she's got Sawyer's it's Sawyer's baby, so we can't see damn, Sawyer's baby. It's that, it's that damn Sawyer's baby. Uh, but it's not. But it is his nephew. Technically, yeah. It's it's technically his half-nephew. Though he... Well, I, I know he knows that at this point, right? Cause, he knows. Right, I'm pretty sure he um, knows by yeah, now. Claire's, yes. Claire's mom approached him at Christian's funeral, and I'm assuming this took place after that. Yes. Uh, so the reason he doesn't want to see this kid, I think, is it's a very painful reminder of what they left behind, and it's like there's no there's no way for him to move forward without having to go back. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, he can't yeah. he can't be with Kate because Kate's with Aaron, and Aaron's this reminder to him of who they left behind and the lie that they're telling in service of all of that. And that's too much for Jack. Uh, Like Jack has already created this false reality (laughs) that he's living in. And I think to live in it any further beyond that would be just too much, too much for him to handle. Right. If he tries to expand the bubble to encapsulate more people, to transform them maybe into what fits his reality, it might be unsustainable. Yes. Uh, So, 
that's what's going on. And obviously, I think like the very next thing that you see with these two characters is that like he's gotten over that or is trying to get over that so that he can actually have a relationship with Kate. He like values his love for Kate mm-hmm. higher than like the personal guilt. And there is some progress there. Of course, it will all fall apart ultimately. Um, but the next time we're going to check in with these characters, it'll be like the two of them have started getting together. And at this moment, though, it still is a little fresh, right? Like you said, because you can imagine that this happened as soon as Kate got landed. We we talk about this actually, and there's no place like home. That this is still a fresh wound, and Jack, while still trying to live in this reality, doesn't want to necessarily face what actually happened on the island. And so he's a little bit in denial. I think is what he's facing at this moment. And so unfortunately, until he can stomach that, he's not going to be able to move into facing something with Kate. He was trying to straddle this line in this moment, right? Of, well, I won't go visit you, but if you want to go outside your house and go get coffee. But Kate, again, sort of uh, getting her own groove back in a manner of speaking, or at least setting herself on a new path, basically says, no, if you want to be with me, you have to be with me and quote unquote my son. If you want to well. be my lover, you got to get with Aaron. <laughs> uh, Make it last forever. <laughs> yeah. Like if you, if you want to be with the, if you want my future, you cannot forget your past. Uh, you have to. Yeah. So this is like the spicy. And Jack's like, no, I really, really, really want a zigzag. Kate, come on. <laughs> he really does. He does. He very much does. Uh, so the episode then, of course, follows Kate all the way home. She goes home, and when she gets there, uh, Aaron's nanny is there. She seems wonderful. She's been taking care of Aaron all this time. She'll actually pop up again in the flash sideways in a really meaningful way, where when Kate takes Claire to the hospital after all the events in the taxi in the beginning of season six, she'll be a nurse there. So even though she won't be there when Aaron is born, she like has a fun flash sideways connection with Aaron, but Okay, we got, yeah, we got to talk about this. Obviously, it ends with the very first clip that opened up this podcast, but this was huge. This, to me, Josh, was the lost equivalent of Maggie shot Mr. Burns in The Mm -hmm. Simpsons, because this is something that I don't think anybody would have seen coming. And and, and technically, in this moment, you know, there was debate as to even if Aaron was counted as one of the Oceanic sex. Like, oh, there's still a chance that it can be Jin and Son because Aaron might not count because he was just a baby. And unfortunately, we will have that reality confirmed in a few episodes from now. But it still is a huge deal that of all the characters, the youngest one was one to make it off the island. Yeah, I love it. It's a great twist. It was a, it was a real curveball. I think the episode really makes you work to get here um, from a, like a narrative structure. I think like from the, the perspective of like the storytelling. But it also is an episode that, as we've established, is like filled with really good scenes. Yeah, um, lots of really good scenes all throughout it, and the ending is is really great. So since we've been doing this out of order, Mike, uh, let's continue that path. Uh, I gave Eggtown a three. What did you give it? Yeah, so when looking at this, I was trying to really compare it against other Kate episodes in particular. I think, like we've said, we've had seven Kate episodes up to this point, because as I spoke about last week, they tend to really vary. And I think I could compare them directly against those. So I was looking at what Kate did, which I feel like is actually a very similar episode where I feel like the flashbacks are very rich and character strong. The on-island stuff is weird, but there's still some cool stuff going on there. I gave What Kate Did a 3.3. I like this less than What Kate Did. And I also like it less than uh, I Do, which is 3.5, because that just has all the adrenaline-pulsing stuff, even if I like the flashback a little bit less. But I still think it's in the vicinity. I would compare this to episodes like 
every man for himself and everybody hates Hugo. Where yeah. they're good episodes, there are some fundamentally weak things about them, but there are some really interesting character beats, and in particular, some very strong endings. So I only went a smidge above you. I gave Eggtown a 3.1. We're both higher than the audience average, which is a 2.8. Uh, it all rounds out to a 2.96, and as we had uh, stated last time, uh, Eggtown is going to... The, the, the sequential order continues for season four. It will not remain this way. Um, but for now, uh, Eggtown, fourth place. Yeah, and we should also say, we've talked about this, keep sending in your feedback because we're going to do a catch-all. Also, keep sending in your ratings as well. Thing, where things are is, is very variable at the moment, not constant. So obviously, it's, things might fluctuate. I don't think the rankings will fluctuate, but certainly the numbers will. So as you're powering through these episodes, much like we are now in the weeks and months to come, just keep sending in your ratings. Everything's fixed until the end of season four anyway. Um, all right, some feedback. This is from Stefan Johnson. Uh, worst name for a lost episode ever, Eggtown. I think we have established that is that is the truth. Yep, uh, undeniably so. Eggtown takes the cake, which I believe is made up of eggs. Yes, uh, Stefan also has this as well. How is Kate even allowed on a flight to Guam? Shouldn't she be on the no-fly list? I actually had a thought about this earlier, Mike, mm -hmm. uh, where I was thinking that uh, shouldn't, like, everyone... If, if Kate has one of the most famous faces in America, then Jack and Hurley and Saeed must be on that list as well. Even Sun and Aaron, perhaps, even, but he's growing. Uh, but these other members of the Oceanic Six, you should be able to recognize this instantaneously. But do you think that the people, when they got on Ajira, were like, oh, shit. We're <laughs> oh, on the flight with the people who, oh, God. Oh, oh interesting. It could go one of two ways. Because it's it could be that equivalent of, oh, my God, I'm on a flight with a celebrity. This is amazing. Or, oh, my God, I'm on a flight with the people who got in a plane crash. This all is bad of them, luck. All of them. The entire Oceanic Six. Uh, that's terrifying. It's uh, terrifying. And then there's this bug-eyed guy there, too. Yeah. At least the uh, pilot's nice and swarthy and, and no beard among them. Apologies for butchering your name, Stefan. Uh, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm getting, I'm getting better. Some regression today. Uh, from Jim Fells. Jim says, feels like another case of what's in the safety deposit box. Kate goes through so much trouble for a bit of information that seems so insignificant. If the freighter crew doesn't care about Kate's past, why does it even matter? It doesn't lead to anything. Uh, that's a, another piece of like my problem with the episode is yeah. just that it feels like... Um, uh, as you like to say, Mike, a bit of a, a maybe a nothing turkey burger because you talked about turkey earlier, or nothing piece of chicken that got a nothing, a nothing, a nothing chicken burger. Yeah, I, I think that the whole plot of again, it's 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 a trap that we fall into with Kate episodes of okay, there's one piece of information that she wants to get, and she'll go to the ends of the earth for it, but it really doesn't play into was it worth it at the end of the day. And I feel like unfortunately, since we have played that tune before, it feels like a bit of a repeat of the chorus. Yes. Uh, from Eric Divestein, did John kill that chicken to eat or out of frustration with his conversation with Ben? I would imagine. Why not both? Yeah. You know, two, two, one bird with two stones. Exactly. I'm assuming he used those <laughs> two stones to take him down. Probably a white and a black stone, oh, right? From his, oh, from his uh, wanna, backgammon game. No, yeah. we didn't want to focus on this. I mean, I could imagine that. He was particularly angry about it, and when John Locke gets angry, he feels confident in one thing, it's his hunting skills, so maybe he, he would do that. And also, I don't know how much, when the last supply drop for Dharmaville brought by produce, 
and uh, and protein. So maybe he indeed had to go a bit season one and hunt. Yeah, a great point from Dallin Cervo. Uh, why does Kate need to ask Miles who she is? Why can't she ask Charlotte, Daniel, or Frank? So if the whole reason, Mike, that she's staying in the barracks is so that she can find out from Miles, what do they know about me so I know what I'm getting myself into if I go back home? Why is she hedging all of those bets on the worst person from the freighters? Well, I think from what Kate has observed so far, it seems like Miles, A, would be the one most likely to give up information, even though Daniel seems like a big old open book. But I think also from this perspective, I could perceive that Miles seems to be the most knowledgeable, right? Miles was the one who said, hey, we're hunting for Benjamin Linus. This is the person that we're going after. He seemed to be the one that has at least been the more forthcoming about everything that's happening and the reason why they're there. So maybe from Kate's perspective, he's the leader. And so of all people, yeah, you would want to interrogate the leader because he would understandably know the most. It just so happens that she happens to, you know, talk to probably the, the seediest and shadiest one of them all. Um, All right, let's get into MVPs and LVPs. I've got three MVPs. You've got two. You've got three LVPs. I've got two. I'll kick this off. Benjamin Linus is once again hitting for me uh, because he. I love how he he handles Miles, but more importantly, he once again just so effectively gets under John Locke's skin. And ironically enough, nobody's hitting Benjamin Linus in this episode, despite Mm -hmm. the fact that he's been captured. I made my argument before. This is the first time I'm giving her an MVP point, but it's her last time on screen, so I might as well honor Diane Jansen. No matter what you think about her motives, I think she does not take the stand, which is pivotal for Kate ending up the way that she does. So I'm, I'm going to give her an MVP point on the way out. Yes. Um, I'll give one to Claire for the reasons I outlined earlier. I love Claire in this episode. Uh, I feel like the opportunities to give her points are diminishing quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is an episode that's a little hard for me to place my MVP points anyway. So I'm going to I'm going to put one on Claire here. I think that it's earned. All right. I'm going to bring this one back. I feel like it's been a while since I've done this one, Josh. MVP point to law and order. I think that includes Duncan. That includes the judge. That includes the, pro- the the prosecutor who does sort of see through Jack, you know, Jack's feelings towards Kate on the stands. I do feel like this was a, a good bang up job, I think, for everyone involved in the law. It just so happens that it got involved with all the law stuff as well. So I'm going to give them some credit here, but I think it's mostly on Duncan's shoulders. Uh, then I'm going to give my last one or his toy chest. I'm going to give my last one to who I assume was the recipient of many of Duncan's toys. Uh, I would hope that that was a perk of signing on yeah, with Duncan the, the lawyer. Yes, uh, I'm going to give a point to Aaron uh, because he's the Avatar, not the last Airbender. <laughs> though, could you imagine? I mean, he uh, did, did say he was special once upon a time, right? So. Yeah, shout out to Aang in there, Aaron in there. Uh, that Aaron, also his name starts with two A's, much like Aang. Uh, Aaron is going to get my MVP point. He's the Avatar of the twist of this ending. And also, good on you, little baby. You got off that island. Yeah, he's the one of the Oceanic Six. Maybe we should give all the Oceanic Six... MVP points when they're like outed as one, you know? Maybe. We, maybe. I think that's what we've done so far, actually. Except for Kate. It oh, would yeah, seem. except for Kate. So. Except for Kate, it would seem. Uh, LVPs, I think you and I both have LVP points to throw at John Locke. Yeah, not a great episode for Locke. His slide continues, unfortunately. Just, just not... I mean, Ben calls him out. He doesn't know what he's doing right now. And as much as he tries to execute some discipline, it's it's not done very well. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give it an LVP point to the chicken. Damn. It died. It died. It died, dude. Uh, 
Uh, and also those eggs were unhealthy and it didn't survive. So it's the chicken and like in general chicken based products. Yeah, it's that. I assume that the egg comes from that chicken. Do you think there's only one chicken that they keep in Dharmaville? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and probably so then those eggs are unfertilized as well. I'm going to give I'm going to keep the streak going. Let's give another LVP point to Miles. Uh, I think his his attempts to extort are just not very well done. And he ends up with a, a grenade in his mouth that may or may not be live. So it, even though Miles is exactly where he says he wants to be, it's not a great week for him. It ain't great. It's not great. Um, and, and I'll throw my final LVP point onto his future or sideways partner in crime. As I mentioned it before, this is not a good look for Sawyer in this episode. Yes, I do commend him, as you mentioned before, for being able to sort of play both sides and remain in Locke's pocket. Locke does confide in him. He's the only person that Locke confides to of, do you think I'm a good leader? That definitely says something. But I think everything he does with Kate is handled poorly. And it's it's not a great look for Sawyer's romantic aspects, at least in this moment. Not a great note to leave Skate on for the time being. Yeah, I have no issue with uh, with this LVP point. I think it's totally, totally fair. Um, so that said, we just have we have a bunch of new people on the board. The big headline uh, on the board, the big headline right now is that uh, Miles has some company in the LVP section. He is the anchor of the LVPs as it stands, but he's not alone. He's with John Locke. Uh, Because John Locke got double tapped by us here. And to be honest, I nearly triple tapped him. Mm -hmm. uh, But I then decided instead a good opportunity to give a point to a chicken dam. Um, So it's Miles and Locke at the very bottom. And then Frank Lapita still hanging tight at the top five. Well, we're going to take a break from those bottom two next week. And maybe an opportunity to give some more points to the leader of the clubhouse next week. But... I feel like there might be some other points to go some other characters way because Josh, we're getting into the constant. It's time for the constant. Uh, we are we are next up. It's the constant uh, and a little bit of time travel involved. And of course, the constant, which is uh, the episode that has long been considered the best episode of Lost, I think is the popular consensus about the constant. Is that going to hold here in terms of the ratings? I suspect it will. Um, but uh, we'll find out really really soon and it's possible that as you're listening to this podcast you already know the answer and the reason (laughs) is because we recorded our podcast about the constant live uh with a group of people watching us on february 15th 2021 the first time we've done a recap here on down the hatch live so people were able to watch that live now they're here listening to Eggtown. They hadn't been able to listen to Eggtown before they watched The Constant. And then they'll be able to listen to The Constant podcast next week. And to add a, a further wrinkle of complexity to this, Mike, you and I currently don't know how that Constant podcast went. We haven't recorded it yet. Yeah. Oh, man. Minute 40. That was truly ridiculous. An I bet Minute 42 Josh. was dope. Minute 42 was really, really good. Uh, so I hope it was good. I think it was good. Uh, we'll find out next week with the podcast uh, if it was good. Yeah. Uh, but people may have already heard our takes on the constant as they're listening to this podcast, which I think is uh, fairly appropriate given uh, the the material at play. Yeah, exactly. But I cannot say how incredibly excited I am to talk about this episode. Not only is it considered one of the best episodes of Lost, but one of the best episodes of television, period, to the point where at a point where Lost certainly... I think had lost some people 
in the three seasons since the the mega mega hit of season one this was one of those rare water cooler moments besides things like we have to go back that people were talking about and it, it is an incredibly important episode to me in the time that it was watched. So I'm very excited to talk about that. I'm so excited to revisit it. It's, you know, we're still in the throes of winter here on the East Coast. So we're, I'm here for a nice callback and call forward to Christmas time as well. We got some nice mulleted Daniel Faraday. There's so much great stuff happening. It's going to be a really fun time talking through the constant. So that's coming up next on Down the Hatch. Before we close out, a quick word from our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Well, sure you do, and I bet it can be hard work, but you know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. Coming next week, Mike Bloom, it's the constant. Cannot wait. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Try some new Minute Maid orange tangerine. It's got calcium. And I'm not drinking it. Oh, no, it's sweet. You'll like it. I don't believe you. Well, then who would you believe? I don't know, Robert Loja. Whoa, Robert Loja. Billy, your mother's right. New Minute Maid orange tangerine tastes great. It's got as much calcium as milk. If you say so, Mr. Loja. Yeah. This is great. Enjoy your breakfast. New Minute Maid orange tangerine with calcium. Yeah. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.